I was uh, aware that uh, there was a baby dedication, you know, that took place, you know, uh, a while ago. So it was a child dedication. Those you don't know, some parents bring their children, you know, uh, before a group of people, sometimes before a, a church, and says, we're going to raise, you know, these kids into a Christian household. Well, um, this family came, and, and Jason was the older brother of the child, you know, who was being dedicated, and he cried all the way home. And so mom kept asking him, and dad kept asking him, say, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? Uh, to which finally Jason replied, Dad, didn't you hear the, the pastor? He says, yeah, I heard him. He goes, the pastor said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home, but I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> oh, we've been in this uh, series called Christian Atheist. Christian Atheist, you know, which doesn't sound right. You know, atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. Christian, you know, someone who does. Uh, how do those two go together? A Christian atheist is someone who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exist. Uh, the Bible actually would say it this way in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Such people claim to know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. So we've been looking at this the last couple weeks. In case you weren't here, you know, we've done this two weeks now. You can grab this uh, online. We'd love for you to be able to, to catch up because it does kind of build on one another. So just briefly, two weeks ago we talked about people believe in God but don't know him personally would be a Christian atheist. In other words, those who might be informed about God, they, they know some things about God, but they've never been transformed by God. Uh, one of the ways that we indicated where our relationship with God may be uh, is what you call him. What do you call him? May give you a level of intimacy or knowledge in that. And again, you can learn about that from a couple weeks ago. Last week, Trevor did a great job talking about a hard subject. A Christian atheist is one who believes in God but does not fear God. Fear God, and that brings up a whole lot of terminology. What does it mean to fear God? And so he defined it, you know, this week, loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. And so it's actually healthy. It's actually really, really good. And again, I would encourage you to listen last week. This week, today, we're going to talk about people who believe in God but don't want to go overboard. People believe in God but don't want to go overboard. In other words, uh, Christianity or following Christ is a part of what I do. I even go to church maybe on a regular basis but I don't want it to be all-consuming. You know, I got a lot of important things in my life, and Jesus is one of those things, but he's not the main thing. Uh, I don't want to be especially associated with some of those weird people, you know, speak weird ways, you know, outside these walls and stuff. And so there's this tension that we might go through. So to start us off, here's what I think that we could all agree on. We live in a culture today that you can customize anything. Right? Almost anything, you can customize it. It's kind of a, a newer phenomenon as uh, American culture has continued to grow in technology and uh, opportunity. So if you think about it, uh, things like food, pizza, right? You can customize different kinds. Of, they're trying to make up ways, you know, where pizza and cheese can be infused and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. So pizza can be one of those things. A lot of the other food items, you can have it your way. In fact, that's what McDonald's was built on. Uh, I was at Walmart, you know, <laughs> this last week in preparing for this message, and I was going uh, to, to get a few things that my wife asked me to get, and I was uh, shocked, uh, knowing that it's been there the whole time, but do you know that there are 12 different kinds of toilet paper? In one aisle. I'm not even talking about the shapes and sizes. I'm like, this is texture and feel and softness and firmness. I'm like, are you kidding me? You can customize our toilet paper. Maybe you know that more than I do. We customize our homes. Right? We don't want it just a standard home. We want to have it different. We want to customize those things. Uh, we customize our drinks. Now, I went to this last week, went to Starbucks, and I heard someone say, I want a 16-ounce half-calf soy or almond milk latte with just one pack of Splenda. I was like, What? 
You call that high maintenance, by the way. You know, I just want to throw that out there. But you can do it any way that you want, right? You can say this, add this, don't do this. You want to customize your drinks. We customize our entertainment, okay? We can have it anywhere, any place, anyhow. I'm going to date myself just a little bit and feel really old. But when I grew up, we had just transitioned from a color, from a, a non-color TV to a color television. In fact, uh, on the screen behind me is the, the exact television, you know, that I grew up in my household with the bunny ears and the six channels, you know, that you could get. All you could get was ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, and maybe one or two weird religious channels. You know, something that would just <laughs> UHF or some weird, you know, it's like that is odd, you know, uh, which we could never turn that far in that dial to as well. Now, this is actually going to sound crazy to some of you in the millennial generation, but I actually had to sit in front of the TV when the program that was told to me through TV Guide was actually on. I actually had to be there at the exact moment when the program came on in order for me to watch that program. And if I didn't watch that program at that time, it was gone forever. I could never catch up. I could never go find it online. There wasn't online. I could never do that, so I missed out. So Saturday morning cartoons were incredibly important as a child growing up. You did not get anything in the way of Saturday morning cartoons. Nine o'clock, Transformers came on, right? And I'm talking about the Transformers where it takes three moves to transform, not the ones today where you need an engineering degree, you know, to try to get it from one thing to another, followed by at 9.30, G.I. Joe, right? G.I. Joe was followed, you know, at that time. And here's the thing. If you had to use the restroom, you had to sprint, you know, to make sure that your brothers or sisters were not in line as well, because as soon as the commercial break was over, 30 to 45 seconds, you were not in front, you missed something. And then you're yelling at your brothers, what did I miss? And they're yelling at you, shut up, I'm trying to watch the TV. You know, and so all these things. And my mom was always notorious during football games. It's always three seconds left. They're on the 10 yard line. Are they gonna win or lose? And she comes over, hey guys, just wanna ask you a question. She's like, mom, no, you know? I tell people now, TiVo saved my marriage because now my wife comes in, she says, right, she has my, you know, I marry somebody, you marry somebody like your parents. She comes in and, you know, now I can push pause and I could say, yes, let's have a conversation, you know, and, uh, and engage back in those things. See, now you can customize it, right? Just as an example I just gave. You can take TV anywhere, watch what you watch, binge watch it, record it, customize entertainment in general. Uh, you can also do this with relationships nowadays. It's called match.com, right? I, I, I want someone, and you start clicking the different things to customize the person that you are looking for, who hikes, who likes romantic movies, who makes seven figures a year, isn't about drama, likes the Seahawks, etc. You push click and nobody shows up. But it's great <laughs> to walk through the process, you know, of this relationship that we can customize. Here's the thing, is that we get so used to the customization and the things that our culture provides that it is natural for us to unknowingly or no, knowingly bring that same sort of emphasis inside when it comes to Christianity. So we can have a tendency, unaware, unbeknownst to ourselves, to actually customize Christianity because we're used to every other area of our life being customized. And so we do this. Like, for example, here's what a customized version of Christianity could look like. I'll take the love of God, but I don't want the discipline of God. That's the piece that, that I want. Or, or I, I want the mercy of God, but I don't want the judgment of God. That's the part I, I'm not interested in. Or I want the blessings that God promises in my life, but that whole 
pick up your cross and follow him thing. I'm like not interested in that. Or I love the verse that talks about, I have plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future and I take it, laminate it, drink out of a mug that has it printed on it. I love those things. I just don't want anything to do with the one where if you look at a woman even lustfully, you've already committed adultery in her heart. No, I don't put those on my wall. You know, I don't put those on cups you know, and those different kinds of things. I love the verse that says, God works for the good of all those who've been called according to his purpose and his plan. But the God who says that I need to manage and steward his resources, his way, I don't want to talk about that. That's what you call a customized version of Christianity. And it's in the bedrock of us as Americans. It goes all the way back. Did you know that our third president, Thomas Jefferson, did this with his Bible? He literally took his Bible and he cut out pages and sections that he did not like or agree with. What you see with me behind me is in the Smithsonian Institute today of the Jefferson Bible of what he did. In fact, he took his version and made a different version of the Bible called the Life and Morals of Jesus Christ based on what he ascribed to, what he liked. It's in the foundation of our culture to want to do this, to pick and choose what applies to us. Maybe you've heard this phrase, uh, God created man in his own image, and man decided to return the favor. You know, that we said, yeah, I want to create the, the God that I want to serve, that I want to like. So with this in mind, I wonder if you've ever found yourself just going through the motions or found other people going through the motions. In other words, you go up to work and work every single... Now, you guys are messing me up now because you're sitting in different spots. I like that. That is awesome. I tell people to do that and mess me up because the fishers are always those people and they're not there now. So, okay, sorry. I had to... You guys sit in the same places over and over and over. And so this is actually perfect customization. Um, yeah, squirrel, just a little bit of a tangent. And this is the one we record. So this is going to be awesome, you know, online this week. You're welcome, Otis. Um, so if you're at a coworker, you show up to work on, you know, on Monday morning and you're just like, this person is literally only here for a paycheck. There is no other reason this person here because they're just so mundane about everything they do. I mean, they do enough to not get fired but they don't do more than what is, what is the absolute lowest bar possible that would actually enhance their own life, their team, or their environment. Uh, some of you are teachers, or you've been coaches, right? And you see your students, and you see so much more potential than what they're giving, so much more than what they're committed to. And, and you, you plead with them. every coach I ever had, pleaded with us, you know, you got to go all in or just not go, go at all. Just don't be a part of it because your attitude or your lack of being involved in the classroom or, in, or athletics or somewhere else is only bringing down the class or the team. And it's hurting you most of all. Don't just go through the motions. Uh, or maybe you have a friend. Now, they're more than an acquaintance, but they're a friend that's just around. Uh, meaning they show up in your life when it's convenient for them. Uh, when, when they don't have something better to do. And so they are a friend, but they're not a good friend and they're more than an acquaintance, but they're just kind of there. If, you, if you've had those people, what you need to ask yourself is, you, have you ever been one of those kinds of people? Because here's why. If you don't get anything else out of today, here's what I want you to get out of. People who love and fear God will passionately live in obedience for God. People who love, people who fear God will passionately live in obedience for God. So let's go back to Jesus He's with his followers 
And he's nearing the end of his life. In fact, uh, uh, we're excited to have John's chapters 13 through 15 in our New Testament, 17, because they give us a little glimpse of what Jesus had to say the night before he died in a place called the upper room. And he gives us insight to let us know, here are some things that are important on Jesus' heart and mind that we're going to record down and that we're going to share with others. The reason that's important is that if you ever read a scripture and you see things that get repeated, you might recognize that that might be something extra special to pay attention to, extra important that we should uh, ascribe to or want to know about. Well, here are some things that Jesus said to his followers that have to do with what we're talking about consistently over and over and over and see if you see the same pattern. John 14, 15, if you love me, if you love me, obey my commandments. John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. John 14, 23, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them, will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. John 15, 9 and 10, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. And it goes on and on and on. See the link? It's the why behind the what. In other words, if you approach Christianity and you approach, here are the things that I'm supposed to do, here are the things I'm not supposed to do, and you try your best, do you know what you've done? You've created a religion, and you're following religion. If, though, you still do those things, but the reason is because of your abiding relationship with Christ, your healthy fear of Christ, you do those things out of a passion and love for Christ. Now it's relationship. It's the biggest difference between those two, and some of us kind of straddle that line back and forth, which is why to move from being a Christian atheist to a committed follower of Christ takes that regular connection with Jesus in our real lives. Regular connection with him, to go deeper and deeper in an abiding relationship with him and in fear of him in a very healthy way. Now with that in mind, how many of you know what an oxymoron is? Hey, oxymoron, oxymoron. I think most people, you know, have heard of that before. We mentioned it just a little bit two weeks ago. I want to kind of expand a little bit more. An oxymoron is when you take two different words that are the opposite and then you put them together. So an oxymoron would be jumbo shrimp, okay? (laughs) Jumbo shrimp. So you see how it's two opposites put together. Pretty ugly, okay? That thing is pretty ugly. You're like, what? Pretty but ugly. Uh, It's a civil war, Civil and war doesn't really go together. Or as I mentioned two weeks ago, cougar victory, right? (laughs) Cougar victory. You know, oxymoron doesn't go together. I'm going to pay for that one later. Uh, Maybe it's airline food. You know, airline food, you know, government efficiency, you know, Microsoft works, you know, it just is the whole thing. (laughs) And go on and on and on and on. But you do realize that probably the greatest oxymoron in history would be lukewarm Christian. Like lukewarm Christian. Those should be absolutely opposite, you know, of what you find. It's someone who is lukewarm, but who also says they're a Christian. In fact, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, open to Revelation chapter 3. A lot of times people like us to preach through Revelation. Well, here's our moment right now. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to look in verse 15. This one will not be on the screen, which is why I encourage you to always download the YouVersion Bible app or just know we have Bibles in the back that are free as a gift from us to you. But I want to give you some context of what we're about to read about. Uh, uh, The context is, uh, you remember I mentioned that Jesus had 12 closest followers at Easter. And and in the inner circle of the inner circle, he had three. One of those three was John. John wrote the book of John, which tells us uh, a perspective of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, He also wrote 
to all Christians, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that we read later in our New Testament. But then he was exiled on the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, most of which alludes to, talks about, you know, gives metaphors toward the end of days, you know, when the world is going to end. And so you can read about that. But in the first few chapters, he gives some specific warnings and spends some specific encouragements to some current churches from Jesus. So he has this vision of Jesus, and Jesus says, write these things down to these seven different churches. Now, on this map behind me, you can see the seven churches that he refers to, you know, in Revelation. Here's what's interesting. Six out of the seven, he had something nice to say. So six out of the seven, Jesus says, hey, you're doing great here, just improve over here. Hey, you're doing awesome here. Consider this over here. Hey, watch out for this, but you're doing great over here. One out of the seven got nothing positive. He just went for the jugular. And that was in the church in Laodicea, at the bottom of their screen, in the church in Laodicea. Now, the church in Laodicea, I want to give you a little bit of history to that place. This was a very, very wealthy city. In fact, 35 years before this book was written, it actually suffered a devastating earthquake that leveled the town. But because of their resource and because of their wealth, they were not only able to build it, but build it back almost twice as good as the original that was there. In fact, they were known in the region to have their massive theaters, their huge stadiums, they had these lavish public baths, which were really popular at the time, and they had massive shopping centers. Maybe you can picture a place that might look like Laodicea that you and I may live in. Now, all this is proven, not by what I have read somewhere, but by modern-day artifacts. And so they, you can go to you know, what's known as modern-day Turkey and visit Laodicea and the foundation there to see that all these things are true. That's important because the Bible isn't just a fictional written story, but it is based in history, which means real cities, real places, real locations, which gives us confidence that what we're reading is true. And this is just another example. So here's the one of the downs of living in this lavish and incredible city. Water. It was not a good place for water. It was in one of the drier areas. And so think of a modern day city like today, Phoenix, right? Where they have an issue with some water systems, uh, Las Vegas or Dubai, Okay, that would be Laodicea. Uh, they had uh, these challenges, but they were uh, incredibly intelligent, and they piped in water six miles away from a hot spring to bring in hot water into the city. They also piped in cool water from miles away from the mountain. Here's the problem, and you can see you know, that these are the aqueducts that were you know, discovered and unearthed to show you how they got it from one region to another. The problem was, is by the time it got there, unless you were the first ones to drink, you're the first ones to bathe, it was lukewarm. So the city people would just complain incessantly about things are so great about here, but our water is just lukewarm. With that backdrop, you can now understand what Jesus is about to say in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Things look good on the outside, but they are not looking good on the inside. And again, he's writing to Christian people in this church in Laodicea. Now, how many coffee drinkers 
coffee drinkers in the house? Okay. Uh, how many guys prefer your coffee hot? Your hot coffee drinkers, do you like hot? How many are cold? That's me. I, it doesn't matter. It's like minus five degrees. I'm still getting a cold, iced, whatever it may be. Now, here's the thing. Hot coffee, good. Cold coffee, good. Coffee sitting out for four and a half hours, awful. If you've ever reached for that kind of coffee and drank it thinking it was hot or thinking it was cold, you literally were like, the things have separated that made it so nice and wonderful anyway, and you just want to spew it out of your mouth. It gives us a little picture of what Jesus is talking about. But it should lead us to a question. What does it mean to be lukewarm? What is a lukewarm Christian? And so what I decided to put together is that there are seven ways that, I've been e- that I think is easy to identify whether or not you're a lukewarm Christian. One of the reasons is because I can see some of this in my own life. But as we look through this, this is not going to be pleasant. And so let me just tell you, if you are not a Christian today, uh, this is the part where you, we want you to listen in, but it does not apply to you. If you are a Christian today, call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then what I'm going to ask you to do is evaluate maybe which one of these things or more this applies. And this is not an exhaustive list. We go on and on. But it helps us to gauge where are we at when it comes to this passionate love and obedience of Jesus Christ. So here would be seven examples. Number one, a lukewarm Christian craves acceptance from people way more than acceptance from God. Craves acceptance from people. Is, is, is that you? In other words, we live in a very selfie-centered generation, right? Uh, oh, do you like me? Do you approve of me? Do you like what I wear? Do you like what I've done? Do you like where I'm at? Do you like my talents? Do you like my abilities? Do you approve of me? And we're constantly looking for that affirmation from other people. In fact, we're, we could so crave this affirmation from other people that when it comes to even our morality or what we believe in, it could be very easy to set those things aside in order for us to fit in. Do you find yourself there? Jesus says it this way, be aware when all men speak well of you, when all men speak well of you, which leads us to number two. Hey, lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith. They rarely share their faith. Why? Well, we don't want to be weird. We don't want to be rejected. Uh, We don't want to offend people. That's the thing today. Uh, We see that over and over and over. And, And so we look at this and we, 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 we measure ourselves when it, when it comes to the idea of sharing our faith. And we're like, man, I'm not sure I really actually want to do this. Honestly, if we would just get over our fears just a little bit, we might come to the realization that the good news that you and I share and believe is life transformative and it can help other people. And so we're able to push beyond our fears to help others. Jesus actually was pretty clear about this. He says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So harsh words, which leads us to number three. Uh, lukewarm Christians rationalize their sins. Rationalize their sins. Do you do realize we live in a day and age where literally people, we are rebranding and renaming sins so it doesn't feel as bad, right? Let me just give you three. Uh, you know, adultery is not adultery anymore. It's called an affair. If it's an affair, it just kind of softens it a little bit. It's a lot easier to talk about or go through. Pornography, pornography is adult entertainment, right? We've rebranded it. We've renamed it. Adult entertainment just sounds better. Profanity is adult language. Hey, kids, when you grow up, you can drop the F-bomb just like me because I'm an adult now, but don't do that yet. But when you get bigger and we kind of soften this over and over, we rationalize sins all day long. And if we don't rationalize, then we compare and we start looking around and be like, well, yeah, I may have an issue with but it's either hidden or 
I feel much better compared to that person. All right, so easy to be like, well, compared to that person, I feel pretty good about myself. And so we can utilize that and stay in this lukewarmness, which leads us to number four. Lukewarm Christians live more for their life on earth than living for their eternity in heaven. Do you know there's a guy in the Bible who said something pretty crazy? His name was the Apostle Paul, and he said these words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, he's saying, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ, but do you know what's better? It's better for me to die, because then I get to leave this world and go be where I'm going to be for the rest of eternity, but for your sake, I'm going to stay on this side of eternity because it's better for you that I stay, but if it's up to me, I'd rather go to heaven and be with God for all eternity. That seems crazy to a lot of us. For many of us would say, if we were to say it this way, I don't want to die. I want to do everything I can to get out of whatever I can in this side of eternity. In other words, I don't care if I'm 105 and I wear diapers. I am pulling everything I can. I'm going to suck everything I can out of this life. Whatever I can consume, whatever experience I can have, whatever relationship I can, I can, I can experience. And none of those things are bad, but I'm living for what this earth can bring instead of living this earth for what's prepared for me for all eternity. It's like spending your entire high school days not realizing that one day you will graduate, right? And you, you're either, either in high school or you've been through high school and that's the way people live. They don't think about, wait, there's graduation? There's, there's things coming up that I might want to be at? Yeah, there really, really are, which actually leads us to number five. Lukewarm Christians only turn to God when they're in a bind. All right, well, we have a relationship with God and we come to church on a regular basis, but we only turn to him when things go really bad because we got other things in our lives. So, I'm going along well, if my job's going well, if the health is going well, but if somebody I love all of a sudden has cancer, whoa, God, pull God out of the toolbox. Help, can you please help this person who's going through cancer? And maybe the chemotherapy and the prayers, they actually work, and then all of a sudden you put God back in the tool chest. And then all of a sudden another crisis comes up, you got kid problems or friend issues, like God, God, help this person. And so God is there, but only when we're in a bind, which leads us to number six. Lukewarm Christians give financially whenever it's convenient. Whenever it's convenient. So in other words, I'll give if it doesn't change or impact my standard of living. I'll give then, or I'll give if I want to, but oh my gosh, don't you dare ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Don't push me. Why? Because it's my stuff. It's my things. It's my money. My, 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 my. The committed follower of Christ recognizes, no, it's God's. God's, 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 God's. Right? But the lukewarm Christian says, mine, mine, mine. We don't want to talk about this stuff because it's mine. It's not your business. Stay out of the, out of the subject, pastor. So I will. Let's move on. Number seven. Okay? Lukewarm Christians. They're not much different from the rest of the world. There's not much difference. Uh, do you realize that all the, whatever moral stats that you go by and you look, look through, you do realize that when they measure it, there isn't a ton of difference between those who attend church and those who don't when it comes to things that people participate and engage in. Yet there should be. It's kind of like the, I want all of what God has for me, but I don't want to follow what he wants me to do. In other words, I want enough of Jesus to get me into heaven, to keep me out of hell, but not so much Jesus that it makes me into one of those people that are fully consumed with all that spiritual stuff. See, Jesus calls that kind of person lukewarm and makes them want to vomit, spit you out of his mouth. It repulses him. Now, one of the reasons that I can pinpoint with some accuracy what a lukewarm Christian looked like is because I can look back in my life and recognize these things were at play. Or I can look at my life now and say, I'm teetering. 
So this is not a judgment conversation. This is not a, hey, let's walk out and feel worse about ourselves conversation. But out of love for one another, we have to be there for one another to encourage each other to continue to walk alongside even in areas that we are struggling as well. We need those reminders. We need those conversations to help us in this journey we call real life. See, when we know him and we fear him, we will passionately live for him. We just will. In fact, here are some of those marks. On the other side, we'll crave acceptance from him. We will share him whenever and wherever possible. We'll long to be with him eternally in heaven. We'll live knowing this world is not our home. We will give radically, generosity, fanatically. We will seek God faithfully. We'll grieve over our sinfulness and we will be different. We will be set apart. So what's your next step in your own journey with Christ? You know the coolest part? Some of you guys who, who have read the Bible, you didn't realize what I'm about to tell you. You've read the whole lukewarm Christian thing, but you didn't realize that Jesus actually had some positive things to say to Laodicea. He just didn't say it at the beginning. He said it at the end. See, just a few verses later, to the same group of Christians, the same group of people that he says he wants to spit them out of his mouth because of their relationship with him, just a couple verses talking to the same church, the same group of people, he says these words in verse 20 that you'll also recognize. Look, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Context is important. He's telling the very group of Christians, the very group of followers of Christ, that there's also hope in the form of you allowing Jesus into your real life. And now this applies to everybody, whether a Christian or not a Christian. Question is, have you opened up the door of your heart to him? See, he's knocking He's there, he's waiting, and we have to say, you know what, I want to know you, I want to allow you to come in, because here's the cool part. If you try to do it all your own, if you try to change because you are a type A driven person and I'm gonna just try harder, I'm gonna do better, you will find yourself more frustrated every year that that goes by. But the more you go grounded and deeper in your relationship with Christ and a healthy fear of him, you will find yourself wanting to be obedient to him because you've led him into the door of your heart. You've allowed him to come in and to transform you from the inside out. And when you do, your life will never be the same again. But you can't do it alone. We need one another. And so we're going to close today with this reminder. When we know and fear God, we will passionately live for him. We're going we're gonna to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to ask you, all of you, to pray, but oftentimes when we do this prayer time, uh, we pray by ourselves. But like I said, we need each other through this journey called real life. But I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud, together, repeat after me. Now, some of you grew up in maybe a traditional church or a Catholic church, church. you're like, oh yeah, we do this all the time. Others of you like, man, this sounds weird. Yeah, it is a little weird. But when we all do it, we're all weird together. So it makes it just less weird, you know? <laughs> ever been to a football game? Weird people if they ever did any of those things by themselves. Just saying. So as we go through this, I just want to challenge you. Make these words your own and see what God does, recognizing that you're not the only one that's saying them. So that would be my challenge. If this is true for you, that you would repeat this out loud together after me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you because you died for me. Help me live for you. Fill me with your spirit that I could pursue you 
and live for you in every single way. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. Thank you for new life. You have my life. All of it forever. In Jesus' name, amen.